Stirring the Pot with Drip Kitchen. What happened? Hello, hello. Hey. What's up? How are you? Can you guys hear me or see me? Yes. You can see me? I can see yeah. you, hear you. Cool. Can you see all of us? Review. I can see you guys. I don't even know what my camera is. Is it facing me or facing? It's facing you. All right. you. All right, sweet. What's up? Hi. Hello. Hey. How are you? What's up? Sorry about last week. No, it's all good. Honestly, like, we were all so tired last week anyway. Um, yeah. Taylor, didn't you just start last week at the new job? Yeah, that, yep. That was my first day, I think. Yep. Wow, congratulations on the new job. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You were uh, you were out filming, right? I was filming down in San Diego the night before, and then I, I got a late start, and I was just, like, heading home, and I figured out what happened, actually. I'm, I'm <laughs> you ever do something so dumb that you're just so embarrassed, and then no one else is around you when you realize it, and you just, it makes it even worse? You're just... <laughs> Oh, I'm such an idiot. I um, I set my alarm for three hours after, not before, seven p.m. I don't really want to talk about it beyond that. <laughs> I set a nine o'clock alarm so that I wouldn't miss the uh, the <laughs> miss the podcast, and it was should have set a four o'clock alarm, but yeah, that's okay. I, I realized that today. Nah, you can't either. <laughs> Time zones get the best of us, to be honest. It stunts me. It got the best of me for sure. <laughs> it was tough when we tried to link up with the girls from Australia because they're mm -hmm. what twelve hours in between, so it was like our nighttime, their morning. Yeah, it was all fucked up. You guys are all sideways. Should I go sideways? Is this no? Look at that. Yo, that's. <laughs> Is that bad? Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah, we don't post the video on uh, the podcast. We just do the audio right now, but we you like should, to bring the interview B video. You guys should do some video. You guys got lights and everything? Look at you guys. Hold on. I feel like I'm I'm missing out. Like, I need to... You guys are all front lit. That's cool. I know it's not video, but you guys look fantastic. Look at you guys. Uh, I'm in a cave. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Taylor, you got Taylor. like this light going on that like... You know what I mean? And you got your mic right there. It looks all fancy. You got the updo. I see what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know? <laughs> see? You got something. You got some Daphne sitting on the couch in the background. I see. Yeah. We need that for our self-esteem. That's what's going to help us do video someday. But probably not. Not anything. You guys should honestly do videos now. You know what I mean? Because, like, it's like, I mean, look, you guys look fantastic. This, come on. You know. Most of the time we don't, though. Most of the time no. we're, like, really ragged. <laughs> we are always going to be our worst critic, you know? So, mm -hmm. you know, with everything we do, we're going to be our worst critic. I'm, like, a terrible critic on, on all the stuff I do on my video stuff. And, I mean, that's the biggest reason why I didn't post content to my YouTube for so long. Just because, like, it's just you want everything to be perfect and you want everything to be amazing. Like, right? Like, I'm just... I did my first 4K video today and I wanted it to be like, I had to like step up to that. Like I've been shooting 4K stuff for like two years, but like, I just wasn't ready to just like present anything, you know? And so that's how we all are. We're always going to be that way. So instead of like worrying about it, let's just like, let's just do it. Let's just get it up there. Nah, this is you need like a professional office, <laughs> a backdrop. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like you guys are doing it now. You guys are doing something now. So, so like, why not? You know, like you guys have a consistency. You have a little format. You guys are growing. You know, I think it. I think a lot of people would appreciate seeing your guys' like facial expressions and like 
I, I don't know. I think it would be cool. And you guys are how far away from you guys are? How far are you guys from each other? Um, I'm well, like, what, five, like five hours. There at one point. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's not that far. I don't know. And I we see each other every day now. So. Okay. Yeah, it'd be cool. Mm-hmm. It'd be cool. All right, so you guys got me. What do you want to talk about? What do you want to talk about? What do you want to know? You've done a lot, man. From what Alexa said, you've done a lot. And uh, I googled you. So. Oh, oh, oh no. That's okay. I know. I would hate if somebody googled me. <laughs> I, I googled me. Um, all right. MTV True Life. Let's start there. Just because um, when I was like 13 years old, that's all I used to watch. So, I want to hear about it. So, did you watch my episode when you were 13 years old? I probably did, and I'm not going to lie, I want to rewatch it. I don't know where I would stream it, if it is streamable right now. But, um, I do remember watching, I think, almost all of them. Thinking that that was, like, an experience that, like, was definitely at every high school. I'm like, wow. I wonder what I should pick. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of I feel like that's all there's like a generation that's all we did was watch MTV. Like it wasn't even music. We just watched like reality shows. It was the dawn of reality right there. Oh, I loved Room Raiders. Room Raiders was my shit and that's not even something you can do nowadays. It wouldn't work. <laughs> that's right. Room Raiders, <laughs> Room Raiders was so Oh man. I watched it all the time. All your fucked up shits in your phone. It's not in your bedroom. Right. Who has like porno mags actually stuffed into their mattress? That's a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> Roommates was yeah. I remember that show. That's crazy. Yeah. Talk about invasion privacy, right? Exactly. At the time, oh. now it's like, go ahead. My room's clean as shit. It's my phone that I'm gonna fucking burn alive with. Yeah. Imagine that phone raiders. Oof. No, that would give me anxiety. I'd be throwing up in the corner in a basket. Yeah, it's like, you know, they put the post, it's like, post your, your like, fifth picture you took. You're just like, no. You're like, I'm, <laughs> I'm lying. <laughs> cool. MTV, so MTV True Life. Wow. Um, it's almost 20 years ago. So next year it'll be 20 years. Oh, no, next year? Yeah, I think next year it'll be 20 years that that show came out. Years. How did they, like, find you? Oh, man, they always find me, you know. Uh, So it's after, it was after the Fast and Furious. And so I'm the real-life Dominic Toretto. And so they they pulled me into the Fast and Furious to do that whole bit. And um, because I took one of the guys doing research for the screenplay out before the movie was even fast and furious. It was a red line. And so then after that, some time went by and I get a call from MTV and they're like, yo, we hear you're the real Toretto. It's like, okay. You know, and, and it's most people don't know this, but I was filming the movie, um, Quattronosa at the same time, which that became streets of legend. And so, um, it was like, I was like, I, I told them first, I was like, Hey, I'm busy. You know, I'm actually kind of busy right now. And they're like, no, no, it's cool. We'll just come out and talk to you. Uh, and so they kept calling and I was like, fine, let's just come out. We'll talk about it. So they come out, get out of their cars, turn the cameras on and walk up and say hi. And I was like, okay, <laughs> nice. That was slick. And so, um, uh, yeah, that was like, it was like America's first, the world's first look into the subculture of street racing. And so, yeah, it was, uh, it was wild, you know, I mean, coming off Fast and Furious and like shooting this other movie and I did some, I did some TV shows and, and, uh, commercials before that, but it was like, you know, at that point I started taking every opportunity and just like, I, I think you look at stuff differently when you're younger, you know, you just, it, it wasn't necessarily about ego. It was just like, I was really grateful to be um telling the story of of my subculture and you know street racing was this very like it wasn't a big it wasn't huge it wasn't this like 
I don't know what is the eight billion dollar industry now. It's like this massive or eight. I don't even know where we are now. It's like a huge industry now, but it wasn't even that big. Like sport compact street racing wasn't even um, like a giant thing. Fast and Furious definitely helped that, but it was like you know, it was like being able to tell the story of of what I loved. You know, of this thing that raised me, and uh, so yeah, it was it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. A lot of stress, like a lot of stress because I had to keep the cars running because I had to film. I think I had to film either later that night, like we had a late night shoot after we did the first episode of, of the true life. Like I had to like keep the cars running and I, on the episode, I actually broke my car and, uh, I, I, um, it looked like the motor blew up cause the whole inside of the car smoked out. And, um, those people don't realize, but it was my transmission that blew up. I actually shot some, some teeth outside of the case on my transmission and uh and so but i worked for a drivetrain company so i didn't want to say that so i was like oh my motor oh my motor which car um, were you driving at the time with, it was i hand drive uh dc2 integra so okay. it was like a itb nitrous and it was like it was the first day i had started the car i've been building this car for like three more than three months i've built this car for a while and it was like the first day i started the car it wasn't even tuned they're like let's go to the street races. I was like, okay. Let's do it. And I uh, went out and I mean, it was the thing was like barely idle. <laughs> it was a nightmare. I had built these individual throttle bodies for it. And it's just, it was like, it needed some love. It needed, it needed some fine tuning. It needed like a cammed um, throttle wheel just so, cause it was like off on. It was like, there was no in between. You're like, you're like no throttle, all throttle. So, um, but it was a, it was a wild, it was a wild time. Uh, Did you make it to the shoot after? <laughs> what? Did you make it to the shoot afterwards? The one that you had to go to at night? I, yeah. So I broke that night, and it was uh, the shoot was actually the next night. So I broke that night, and uh, okay. we filmed pretty late. I went home. I pulled the transmission out. I took it to work with me. <laughs> I was like, I'm just bringing this transmission to work. I tore it apart at work um, on lunch. I put a whole all-new gear set in it, put it back in the car, drove home. This is on no sleep, right? So I drove home, put it back in the car, and then went to the shoot, and we shot all night. And I went back to work the next day, and I was just like, it's okay. It's like <laughs> rolling into work. This is like third day, no sleep. and uh, But, you know, it's cool. You just, like, for, when you love something, it doesn't really matter, you know? It doesn't really matter like lose a little sleep bleed for what you love you know like if you love it enough you'll bleed for it if you love it enough you'll you know you'll sacrifice for it so yeah, well, yeah. i had to get a couple of blood transfusions just to, to keep the blood coming <laughs> yeah right i wish i had uh, my cousin's a um, paramedic and they always do these banana bags right when they're hung over and stuff like that i wish i had that they have those too they have like places you can go get like an iv drip of like potassium and minerals and stuff like that. Like, ah, I finally knew. I only had that back in the day. Go get go get like all tuned up, you know, before you go into work. Oh man. But no, that was cool. It was uh it was cool. It was crazy too, because after that it was you know, I was like this I was like this reality TV celebrity after that. And so which is crazy, right? So if you've never like going from, but it was recognized for doing what I, what I love. So that was kind of cool. Cause people would talk to me, they'd be like, they talk about my cars and the show and all of that stuff. So that was always nice, but you know, it was like, it was weird. And, uh, the first time I remember the first time people like were staring at me, these dudes were staring at me. Like they're like, kind of like, I don't know, just kind of like rough looking dudes. And I was out with my, my girl at the time and I was just like, just like, you know, what are you looking at? Like, what's up? Like, what are you looking at? And uh, they just wanted to talk to me. They, they weren't like, they didn't even hear me. It was crazy. Um, <laughs> but it was cool. Like, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy when you get some level of um, of celebrity. It's like everywhere you go. Like, like meals would be free. I'd sit down at a restaurant. And they'd be like, oh, no. I don't know. It's on the house. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, 
because I was on a reality show, I get like a free dinner. Like, how does that even make any sense? You know what I mean? Uh, but it was cool because people were just genuinely uh, happy to happy to meet me and happy to see me. You know, I mean, some people they lived like they lived vicariously through MTV at the time, and so yeah, it was it was wild. So then, like, how did you go from from that to doing FD and being you know a part of a racing team and like how did that happen um wow so fd and and i go with pretty far back um like i've known i've always loved drifting um i had an s13 in shoot, somewhere in the late 90s i had my first s13 so i always had this i you know i always had this love for drifting i got into canyon racing and then I feel like that's kind of a natural progression is to just, you know, wanting to slide a car. You know, I was always into front wheel drive cars and we would like e-brake drift them in canyons and stuff like that. Like we would, you know, we would tail scoot them. It was fun. Um, <laughs> but, no, like for real, like it's, it's why I got some video of it. You'd, you'd laugh at me. You would all laugh at me. <laughs> um, but I, I just think that, you know, like anything, you know, stuff coming from Japan was just this sort of like, I don't know how to explain it. It was, it was, you, you didn't have it here. So anything that was happening in Japan because of your love for these cars, you just, you naturally gravitated toward it. And, you know, drifting was just this thing that was happening in Japan. And, um, yeah, I remember before, the, before the first D1 at Irwindale, um, I remember talking to uh, to Ryan Sage at SEMA, and he was telling me, like, yeah, I'm bringing drifting here. Like, I'm going to bring drifting. And, uh, you know, I knew I knew William Law, who who was the um, VP of Formula Drift, who now just, he just, um, PRI, so he just started working for PRI. But I knew him from the um, IDRC days, import drag racing circuit. So I've, I've known these guys for a long time and, and Ryan was um, Hot Port Nights from like way back. So I've known these people for a very long time and, you know, he, he brought, they brought Formula Drift. I mean, they brought D1 here and I remember being, I was at Irwindale, you know, I got all the passes and all hooked up and was just right there and it was just, um, I was standing next to a, a guy named Rodney who used to run this magazine called TMR, TMR Magazine. I don't know if you guys know about it, but it was like this little, it was like this little skate culture meets um, sport compact culture, kind of this like mini mag. Then it grew up to a larger mag, but when there was magazines, you know. Um, but I remember standing next to him, and we were just, it was just blown away, you know, just the fact that that D one was in the United States for the first time, and uh, you know, it was just. Um, yeah, it was just, it was like mind blowing. And then I ended up working for D1 for a little bit doing announcing. So I was their announcer. Um, I would do like side announcement stuff. I do like SEMA announcements for their demos and things like that. And, um, and so, yeah, my sister ended up, my sister did uh, legal work for them too. So it's just kind of like, it was all tied in, but I, I, um, yeah, it was wild. It was like, it's just like wild being a part of that. It was like sitting with, I'll never forget this, right? So I'm sitting in a van at SEMA. I'm getting ready. I'm like going over my my um my speech and and stuff to introduce all the drivers. And I'm I'm sitting next to um uh the Drift King, like he's sitting next to me in the van, right? And I speak Japanese. Um, I grew up in a Japanese martial arts, so I know Japanese. And but I'm like terrible at it. Like you know what I mean? Like I, I can get by. I can order food. I can find the bathroom. I can kind of get around in japan if need be but i just you can't fully express yourself you know what i mean like when you know the basics and you can you're sort of fluent in it you can't fully express yourself so i use every single bit of japanese i knew talking to him and it was like it was wild like he like reaches in my bag picks out a magazine and he opens it and there's the um like the super auto box jdtc cars and he's like, oh, I, I drive that. Like He's like, oh, yeah. Because, you know, I feel like when you meet somebody who's, like, that big, actually, when I meet anyone who's, like, famous or celebrity, whether I know them or not, I just treat them like people, right? 
Like I just, there's people, right? You got to kind of make a, I don't know. I just, I feel like I got to know them. You know what I mean? Like I got to meet them and know them. I'm not going to put them on a pedestal until I know the kind of person they are in real life. So, um, yeah, but it was wild. It was like chilling with him, chilling with like Dajiro Inada, Inada-san who owns like Option Magazine. Um, who else was like smoking Nagata, like all these crazy, just these G's, right? Like these Japanese G's. And you're just like, whoa, like that's so crazy. Um, but it was wild. And then, you know, kind of flash forward, I, I, not too long after that, I didn't know if I was going to keep doing car stuff. And so um, I sold all my, I sold all my stuff, bought a sailboat and tried to sail around the world. And, uh, you know, sometimes you got to take a little break and figure out if it's really what you want to do. Um, so, yeah. And honestly, like it, it, it led me to Australia. And I ended up like diving in with a bunch of like drift kids and led me to uh, Singapore. I ended up with, like a bunch of like drift kids in Singapore and everywhere I went, it was like, I would find cars or cars would find me. I was in Australia. All these, all these parkour kids were like drift car guys too. So I ended up like falling in with them too, going street drifting and all that. So it was like, it, it kept finding me, it was obviously something I loved. So, you know, when I came back uh, from that, it was like, you know, I'm still doing cars. Um, and now what do you mean by sailboat? Like, I, like a boat with a sail. Like small or big and it was just you? It was a 45 foot. Uh, there was different people at times. Um, okay. My sister was on it at times and then um, I actually hopped off that. She piloted that for a while and I hopped on it like a 30 foot. Um, but yeah, it was the, uh, it was the SV WMD is the sailing vessel WMD, which is my moniker, my little, uh, hold on. I think I got my little, my little moniker, but it was, uh, I feel like, um, sailboat like undersells it because like in my head, um, like I'm an idiot. So I think like where the wild things are, like what Max (laughs) sailed away on. That's why I'm like, that's That's terrifying. all the way across the world. My bed sheet was the main sail, you know, and I. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I pictured it was like pig, like made of logs and shit that you tied together. I was like, why would you do that? <laughs> um, I was a forty-five foot. It was a uh, Norseman four four six. It's a decent size sail, but mm-hmm. actually kind of a little bigger than I'd recommend people sail on. I'd I'd say like a thirty to thirty-two foot. If you guys are thinking about sailing around the world, you know. Uh, no. No, that sounds cool for you. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Um, it's but it's I think it's worth it, you know. And I think it was at the time of my life that yeah. I, I needed to figure out if like I needed to go lose myself, you know, because I think I think when we're surrounding ourselves with the people we grew up with, or like our even our families, you know, they view us for who we were, right? They're always going to view us for who we were. Um. And that's kind of a, uh, that tends to hold you back. You know, like if you still hang out with all the kids who are like just doing dumb stuff from high school, you know, you're going to be pulled into that. And so, you know, I always kind of wanted to, uh, wanted to evolve and wanted to grow. And, you know, I think when you get so far away from yourself, I mean, I was literally on the other side of the world and, you know, you kind of get a chance to, to leave who you were behind. And, you know, when I came back from that, it was, it's weird. So finding yourself is, is not what it you think it is. Finding yourself is losing yourself. And then it's just like, imagine if you're a box and you empty that box out, right? Like, what do you, what do you put in the box after that? It doesn't all just like come to you. And so I think I lost myself somewhere in Australia. And I think I, started filling the box back up maybe somewhere in the Southeast Asia. And then, uh, I only made it halfway. So sold the bolt, sold the boat in uh, Thailand and, um, found myself in Japan. I ended up, uh, running out of money and, uh, racing, racing, ending up getting a job racing K cars in Japan, doing endurance racing. So that was, uh, that was wild. And that's when I started like 
calling all the people I knew in Japan. Um, like I hit up, you know, Inata-san, like Dajero Inata, and it's like, hey, I'm coming by. He's like, good, come on by. Took me street drifting in Odaiba. Like, just mind-blowing. I, I got to show you guys pictures. It'll blow your mind. But he had this, like, he has this S13 that has, like, a G35 back and a 370Z front. Uh, and that's his, like, favorite thing. He had, like, he had, like, C10 Skylines. Like, uh, he had, like, Hakusoka's on lifts in, in his bay. He had this whole collection of these crazy, amazing cars, but he's like, oh, this is my favorite. I love this this little, like, Frankenstein S13. You know what I mean? Like, it was just cool. Um, yeah, and I ended up uh, doing that for a while. Uh, just kind of toured around Japan and just floated for a little bit until yeah, it was time to come home. So. Wow. Yeah. Your life, your life blows, dude. Yeah, oh, that's terrible. It sucks. It's it sucks. Wow, that's that's uh, that's awesome. Street drifting and stuff. I'm and seriously then, jealous. I'm like, wow, that's like, I wish I had traveled more. You got. I mean, that's like life is short, right? So just follow your heart. Yeah, everybody that goes to Japan has like some crazy, magic, amazing story. Like even Alexis, like she comes back and it's like I've lived in America my whole life and never have I ever had anything that cool happen to me. And then she goes to Japan and it's like within a week, something amazing. Japan's another world. It's, it's like a magical place. It is a magical place. That's like. Some of the greatest people, too. Um, just because it's, like, it's so far from our culture. And it's, like, not a lot of people speak English there, either. So, you know, when you're there, and especially if you know some Japanese, it's you, it does so well for you. Because they really appreciate when you try. And so they will take the time to slow down and talk to you when you know Japanese. And they're, like, the greatest, they're the greatest hosts I've ever met. So the first time that I went, I stayed with a family for a month and I was trying to learn how to read and write Japanese and they sent me home with like 25 like children's preschool books. I had to like check my luggage on the way home because it was so heavy from all the books that they gave me. That is so awesome. Yeah, I, I learned like my friend's mom taught me calligraphy. Like, taught me Japanese calligraphy and gave me the full calligraphy set. It's it's crazy. Like, if you want to learn about the culture, they will, like, totally hook you up. Got this little mount right here. Yeah, we were supposed to go. Um, Alexis had actually gotten me my passport because I didn't have a passport. And then we were supposed to go, what, the beginning of 2020 or the end of 2019? I don't remember. I think it was sometime 2020. Pretty much right, like right after everything shut down, we were all like supposed to go for that. But hopefully, that'll all be opened up soon, and we can actually do the trip. Maybe, maybe you gotta go. Yeah. Oh, there's and there's. I mean, think about it too. Think about how many people here love cars and love drifting and love that culture. It's there's pockets all over the world. Like every country you go to. You're gonna find you're gonna find your family, you know, and it's like what better way to to expand your just like your data not database but your like your network, you know, and not in like a not in like a network as in business, but in like you're just your friend network, you know. I'm getting all I got this little mount right here. I got my feet up now. I'm getting all <laughs> in, feeling it. Oh man, there's so like so much I want to ask too, and I want to like get into the like fabrication stuff, but I know that's like the nerd talk. Um, but like that S13 that you've been building and doing the YouTube series on, is that the first S13 that you had? No, um, the first S13 I had was a coupe, and um, I bought it. I bought it with a front end crash. And because in in ninety seven seven must be ninety seven, there was still like pricey, and so yeah, I found this S thirteen for a good deal. Had some front damage, 
fixed it and just started like drifting it. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I know I still feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> uh you know, um but it's funny. Yeah, that's um yeah, I drove around for a while and I ended up selling it to a um to a buddy of mine who's like, dude, I want to get your car. I wanted I want your drift car. I want it so bad. It was nice. It was like a white SE coupe S13. It's just, it was like beautiful. Uh, it's like, you know, that car today would be like 20 grand in California, you know, but uh, just beautiful. I had the head of display worked, everything worked. Um, so I sold it to him. Uh, he crashed it the next day. Was he trying to drift? Oh, yeah. Well, because I took him driving for it. I took him, he lived up this canyon road. And so he lived in Laguna and he, he was like, I was showing him, I'm like, just drifting up the canyon. Not even that like gangster, just like hanging the tail a little bit, you know? And uh, he definitely tried to do that and it didn't work out for him so well. So, yeah. And he didn't want to pay me the rest of the money he owed me. So then I ended up taking his, uh, his Cadillac, his 76 Eldorado. I took that from him. I, I drove the G Rat around for a while. There you yeah. go. It's like it was a black lowered Cadillac Eldorado, 1976, the biggest Cadillac they ever made. Yeah. As well, yeah. Just take all my skateboarder friends skating in it. You could fit like you know, you could fit like ten inside of it. You could fit like ten more in the trunk. It was crazy. So then, what's the what's the S13 that you're building now? Like, what's the significance behind that one? Right, so this car, so this car has been with me for a while, and I bought the car. <laughs> so many stories in this car. So I bought the car. Uh, and I, I I worked for a company called GT Pro, and so I was set up to drive their their drift car, their Formula drift car, and so this was this was before I left. So this is like maybe oh six, um, oh seven. And so I built this car to be a practice car so I can get a little bit better without destroying the, the main car. And so I built the car, I caged it, and I started going out and just driving and practicing. So before, before I can, we can start the season, like they announced it, we did Long Beach, they announced me as the driver and everything. And before we can start the season, they ended up selling the rig, selling the car. He hit some financial trouble and ended up just kind of selling everything. So I was just kind of like, oh man, that sucks. But I have this cool car. So, um, yeah. And then I just drove it around and I got a bunch of trouble in it, did a bunch of street stuff in it. Um, it had a single cam in it. And then I got, I, I always get these crazy ideas, right? Like I'm like, oh, I'm going to, like, I'm going to put a V8 in this thing. Or, like, I always just get these really crazy ideas. And so no one had done the V8 swap on the 13 then. And so I was like, well, I'm going to do a VH45 and put it into this the S13. Did all this, like, did all this work and stayed up all night and put this, put the VH45 and showed up at Long Beach or um, Irwindale. Um, wasn't done, but it was like, got the car kind of running and, um, yeah, then I don't know. Then it, it it sat for a little bit, and I I kind of I'm kind of like ADD when it comes to cars. So wait, where am I still in the frame? What are you? Yeah, you good. I'm still good. Yeah, you're so, good. Where's Taylor took off? So I don't know where she went. But no, I'm still here. <laughs> I'm a, I don't know. <laughs> um. Yeah, but then that thing. I feel like it was with, it had a V8 in it for a while and it just, I don't, what happened? Um, I bought a vert and, uh, I bought an S13 vert and I ended up just like street drifting out thing a lot. So my, my camel car just sat for a while. Um, and then, yeah, I just fell in love with that vert. It was just something about it. Just top down. And I lifted everywhere. I would do the dumbest things, like middle of the day. I would just like, you know, sideways in every single intersection. I was just like a complete idiot in that car. Um, and yeah, it's just, 
I saw that bird at a wrecking yard and it had wrapped around a, a telephone pole. So the front end of it was just had this like round indent from the bumper. The bumper pushed all the way into the motor. And uh, I just saw it. The top was good. And it's just like sitting in the in this wrecking yard I used to go to. And I was just like, oh, you know, just looking at me with its sad S13 puppy dog eyes. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, oh, I just got to I got to have it. So I ended up getting that thing and putting this little front end and drifting it everywhere. But my my camel car sat. It was just chilling. Right. It just needed a lot of love. It was I don't know. I think I built that thing. I was very serious when I built it. So it was a serious car. Um, and then flash, flash forward a couple years. Um, I kept it when I went sailing. So I got back. I finished my vert. I supercharged it. Did this crazy build on it. And then um, I ended up getting an invite to Gymkhana. So it was uh, Ken Block's Gymkhana Grid Invitational at Irwindale. And so in... Like before I got the invite, I'd already planned on just like taking the V8 out, putting a KA back in it, like throwing a turbo on it, making it simple just so I can just drive it because I love driving and I tend to overcomplicate everything so that I don't drive them because they're just like these just high strung cars. You know, and I think, um, I think I'm finally at the point where I'm, I'm able to get through all of these crazy projects and, you know, now I just want everything running. And so. Got the invite to Jim Grid. It was at SEMA, and I had like two weeks to put the car together. So I ended up, um, I ended up getting with uh, Ali from Machine Tune, and um, I was like, "Hey, yo, I want to let's build this car for Jim Connor." He's like, "Yo, we're down." And so we ended up doing this crazy build. And then my my homie Stephen, he's like, "Hey, let's film it. Let's film. Let's document this." So he started shooting that. And then we, we like rock and rolled for like two weeks, no, a week and a half and no sleep again. You know, this is like a theme here. Um, and once it started, we started shooting and I started talking to people like, Hey, I'm putting this car together. And they're like, Oh sweet. We want to be on board. So like VIP modular got on board. They made custom wheels for it. Um, CX racing on board. They're like, here, here's a full turbo kit. How about a turbo for it? Okay. So this is like a week we got. You know, we got less than a week, no, a week plus to go, and the car completely gets more and more complicated as, as the, like, it should be getting more done, but it gets more complicated. Um, AEM's like, oh, hey, here's engine management, you know, here's, here's a, throw an engine management on it. All right, cool. Um, and then, like, uh, what is it? Uh, Duraflex is like, here's, you know, throw some kit on it. You make it look nice. And so, um, was it, um, Godspeed's like, Oh, here, take all this suspension, throw all this suspension on it. And it just, it was like this very simple thing. We were just going to get it running and go run the event. And it became this, just this overproduced, um, just crazy project. And uh, we got it done. We got it out there. Um, it was amazing. And that was actually that was actually the first time I met Jeff Jeff Jones, and so he was in Jim Connor Grid, and uh, Ross I knew Ross Petty from before, um, so he was in Jim Connor Grid, and it was like just kind of all these homies from like the area were in it, and it was like super cool. So we had planned to do the whole series, so like we talked to Chris Willard and we we said hey we're doing the whole series, and. And it all ended up falling through, which I have no idea why. Like, you think about Jim Connor, it's such a great concept. You could bring all, it's like drag racing meets autocross meets drifting meets road racing. It's like everyone and everyone. You could do a front wheel drive class, you know, so all the Honda kids can still be in it. It's like, I don't know why it didn't happen, but it didn't. So, yeah, so that was kind of a, that was kind of a thing. Then uh, the car sat for a little bit. Um, and, but that's, that was the reason I bought my bus too. Was I was just, just going to say, speaking of crazy builds, can we please talk about the bus? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that, I uh, just, I'll wrap the camel car. That car has been with me for so long and I actually built it because, um, I lost some, I built it with a camel theme because I lost some friends. I was in the Marine Corps and so I'd lost some friends in, you know, in, in the Iraq and the Afghanistan conflict. And so I did the whole camo, camo theme as like a, you know, as a tribute to my 
my brothers who, who had passed. And so it's this very special thing for me. And so, um, so yeah, then came the, the, the school bus then came pepper, the school bus. Right. And, um, I ended up having to, um, ended up having to sell the car to finish pepper. How do we do this chronologically? I guess we don't, right? We'll come back to it. We'll put a pin in the camel car. We'll come back to it. Um, so school bus, right? School bus, pepper, the school bus. Um, I've, I always wanted to drive a school bus, right? I always thought that would be the coolest thing. Um, I feel like, I feel like I'd be the crazy, crazy guy driving a school bus if I ever drove a school bus, you know, I'd be like that weirdo on the school bus. Right. But I had that, I had this dream to put a car in a school bus, um, after the MTV show. Cause after the MTV show, I wanted to do, um, a series called Grand Am and I had, I had tied Honda into it um, and I was going to get the school bus and I was going to gut it and put a car in it. That was my whole big plan. So I've been hanging on to this idea since, um, since like 03. Um, but it seemed like it was the time to do it. And, uh, you know, I put my magic ape all over and all signs point to yes, you know? So it was like one of those things. And uh, I don't know if you guys get them, but I get those feelings that like it's time, you know? And I went up and I looked, took me six months to find a school bus that would work. Um, and uh, I actually flew to Washington and it was the craziest thing. I this my life is, this is what my life is like. I was, I was going to the airport to get on a plane. I was actually at LAX to fly to Washington to buy a school bus that I didn't even know about. Like I hadn't even found a school bus yet. And so I just had a feeling and I was in the airport and I had taken all the money I'd owned. I even had some Disney stock from, I was a kid. It was like a gift and I sold all of that. And I'm like, I'm going to buy a school bus. And, um, my homie called me up, my homie, my homie, Steve-O. And, uh, he had, he passed, he actually passed away about six months ago. And he called me up and he's like, Hey, he's like, Leone, what's up? You are uh, you still looking for that school bus? I'm like, yeah, man, I'm literally going to hop on a plane right now and go find one in Washington. And he's like, he's like, listen, he's like, I, I found an extra thousand dollars. I don't know what to do with. And he's like, I want to, he's like, I want to like contribute to you buying this bus. He's like, I believe in you. And I just got a good feeling about this. So I want to, and so I was like, all right, cool, man. Like, cool. So when I landed, it was, it was in my account and, um, yeah, as soon as I landed, I opened Craigslist and it was actually, they had just listed this bus. Like while I was in the air, they had listed this bus and I landed, I looked at it. It seemed perfect. So, um, my friend picked me up, we went and looked at it and I was just like, as soon as I turned the key, it was an electric door to the doors just went and opened. And I was like, oh, this is the bus. And with, with everything, the, the cost of buying the bus, registering it and getting it home was the exact amount of money, like to the dollar I had to my name to buy that bus. And it was it, without that extra thousand dollars, I wouldn't be able, be able to swing it. So it was like this crazy, like, that's my life. Like, that's how my life works. It's this, it's like this, like, you don't know what's going to happen. I'm not really planned out. Like I'm way less planned out than most people think I am. And, um, you know, I just got this faith, you know, I got this like big faith in, in what I do. And, um, yeah, I, I just believe in myself and the outcome. And, um, and I think, it, I think there's something bigger than that too. Um, you know, I just think there's, there's like a, a divine presence that just like, I'm supposed to do this stuff. And, you know, there's, there's like a path that seems to be keep, keep being paved in front of me for this, like to do these crazy things. And it requires like a, I mean, it requires like a ton of sacrifice and like a ton of like, um, just like faith, you know, like I got to believe in this because I mean, it's crazy. It's, if you really lay it all out, my life is crazy. Like they should, they would like, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. You know, when I was, um, 
uh, before I, you know, before I had my girlfriend and when I was dating people, I would, I had to learn like not to tell them too much. I would just be like, oh, I like cars. And I wouldn't tell them too much because it all sounds like bullshit. You know what I mean? Like it really, if you really lay it all out, it all sounds like bullshit. And so I, I, I learned like, okay, I gotta, I just gotta tell people like, Hey, yeah, I just, you know, I like cars. How do you, how do you keep that faith though? Like I'm sure the road always hasn't been like easy. There's always going to be like bumps in the road. So like what keeps you like positive about that or like that faith going? Um, it's actually not easy. It's like not easy ever. Um, sometimes it flows really well, but sometimes, um, I don't know. Like, I don't really know. Yeah. I, I think sometimes it's like a good reminder to tell people like, okay, it might look easy. Right. But it's not. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> like that bus is, that bus is probably over 20,000 hours into it to get it to where it is. And it was down for five and a half years. But Durama, I put a Duramax in it. It broke and I put a Duramax in it. But it was like... <clears throat> I think keeping that faith alive has a lot to do with, with gratitude. And it has a lot to do with surrender, you know? Like you... We're all here for a reason, right? And, you know, I think once you get rid of the ego... And that was that sailing... Sailing really helped me get rid of a lot of my ego. Um, but like, you know, when you have gratitude for what you, what you have, I mean, look, like, I mean, look at this, like we have phones and technology and we have skill sets. And we, we have really a lot to be thankful for. Um, and, you know, I think, I think the biggest thing that helps me keep that faith alive is when I realize it's not about me, you know, and I realize that it's not, I'm not the machine, right? And that's the delusion, right? When when I think I'm the machine, when I think it's about me, like that's when it's going to fail, right? That's when I got a lesson to learn. But when I realize that I'm a small cog, I'm a small cog in a larger machine, you know. I mean, I I most of my messages I, I get are from people who I've influenced or inspired. Uh, for many years for over 20 years and you know like I, I don't think people realize when they send me those messages that that inspires me you know that i'm not flawless you know what i mean i've made a ton of mistakes but it's it's like realizing that it's bigger than me realizing that you know like my my youtube series i'm just trying to put stuff out to inspire people you know i'm just trying to give back you know what I mean? And the numbers, as much as we like to look at the numbers and be like, oh man, you know, like I didn't get the numbers or I'm not at a thousand followers or whatever. You know, I have to remind myself that it's not about that. You know, it's about, it's about just giving back. It's about finding a way to live my purpose, you know, and it's just, I'm, I'm kind of fumbling through it, but it's supposed to happen. You know, I went out and I went out, I needed hard drives last night and I went out and found some on offer up and they're brand, these brand new 12 terabyte hard drives. And I didn't have like, I, I didn't have money to buy the ones I needed. So I found them on offer up and you know, it's like I bought them with what I had and, the, and it was this, they're cool. All right. Brought them home and I looked them up and these are like $1,200 hard drives. And it's like, I was like, holy crap, you know, I, I paid like a 16th of that price, but it was like this, it's like, okay, all right. I get these little reminders that I'm on the right path, you know? And I think it's, it's relative for everyone. We're all going to get those reminders that we're on the right path. Um, and if we listen to them, you know, like building a school bus is crazy. Like building a school bus to haul a car inside of it is crazy. But something was like, something's pushing me along those lines that those ideas don't come from nowhere you know those ideas come from somewhere and i think if we're if we're open to that and i think if we get out of our own way and we're open to that we can really do we can really do what we're supposed to do here you know and you guys are you guys got me 
on your podcast, you're all here and you're all doing it. So you're obviously all called to something and you got your cars and you're doing it and you're going out there and you're representing and you're inspiring like a tons of ton of ladies out there who are just like really looking up to you guys. You know what I mean? So you guys are called to do something. So, so do it with all your heart, you know, that's how you, that's how you keep going. Even when it sucks, that's how you keep going. You know? I think the only thing I have issue with is the sleepless nights. Oh, it's so hard. <laughs> I love my sleep. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> sleep when you sleep as much as you can when you can. I guess I see all of your videos of like working on the S13 and stuff, and like it inspires me to want to work on my own car. I just I get so tired that I'm like, oh my gosh, putting in that wrench time after work. It's just it's a lot. It gets to be a lot. Um, well, it's, it's something every day. Um, you know, I mean, you can, you can do something every day, even if it's a half an hour, it's something every day. And it's not, I mean, yeah, we all love when we, we get to spend like 10 hours, like accomplishing something like the whole weekend working and we get a lot done, but it's, you know, it's not always like that. And it's, um, I spent the last two years finishing Pepper's Duramax swap, working on her every single day. And that's the only way she got done every single day. And it was, it got grueling, actually burnt out. It burnt me out. Um, I've always managed to stay just outside of being burnt out, but this had officially burnt me out. And, um, yeah. And it, it took me a while to get back. It took me a while to start getting like those creative concepts back. But, you know, I mean, cause it's all creative too. And I mean, when you're an artist, when you're an artist, it's just different. It's like, you know, I'm speaking to all the artists out there. You're not alone. You know, like you, it's, you're, you're putting out your, this energy, right. And you have this relationship with your art. And when it's done, there's like, you should really mourn that loss of relationship. Because if you put that heart and soul into something, you know, you're gonna, you know, it's gonna like, <sighs> like there's a process, there's an artistic process. And, you know, I think I, I, it was like having a breakup afterwards, you know, it was like, really, it was like when I finished Pepper. I drove her. I didn't want to open the hood again. Like, I just didn't want to, like, even, like, look at the engine again for a, a long time. And, uh, and I actually cut, I have a whole series that I shot of that, that whole assembly, like a 10 episode series. Um, but I didn't want to look at it, you know, because I was just, it's like, you know, it's like a, it's like a rough, it's like a rough breakup with next. It's like, you don't want to even look at those pictures, you know, you don't want to even like hear, hear their name, you know? Um, but yeah, I don't know. that's, that's art. You know, that's what, that's how artists, artists live. We live with our hearts, you know, and we feel, we, we like live based on feeling. We create based on feeling, you know? And it's like, just because it's cars, people think that it's like, devoid of, of emotional content, but it's not, you know, the way you style, the way you build, the way you, I mean, even the way I do a cage, the way I, I lay it out or design it or whatever, it's all like, it's all art to me. You guys could probably relate. I see all your smiles right now. <laughs> you guys are totally relating to this right now. Yeah. I mean, I get emotional with cars for sure. I cried when I had to sell my S13 project and I'm like, I didn't even drive that car once. Yeah. Right. Oh, for like a solid week. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. That's why I, I like, it's hard for me to sell anything. You know, it's like, I always get a, I got, I got 10 cars, I get 10, I got 10 cars. Damn. I got five S13s. You're set on like a million dollars right there. <laughs> Yeah. There you go. They're all crazy too. So I got a, like I got an S13 
um, it's a hatch that I cut into a truck. They call caged and has a 2J in it, 2J VBTI in it. Um, on an R154, I got a um, twin charged S13 vert. It's like a supercharged turbo. It's on that Motor Trend show. There's a show on Motor Trend called Under Pressure. Under Pressure 9K. You can see you can see some of that build on that. Um, what else? There's uh, the Camo S13. Um, I have a all-wheel drive KA S13 hatch. This like crazy road race car. Damn. Um, and then I have the what else? Oh, then I ended up with my my old apprentice's car. It's another S13. I love the hatch. Don't joke. I love the S13 hatch. Same. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's a KA uh, KA turbo two front. Um, just kind of like a street street whatever, but yeah, I'll be I'll be posting some content on that thing pretty soon. Sick. Yeah, I don't know. I love them. And it's like every time I get one, I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll flip this, or maybe I'll, nope, I just fall in love with them. Dude, every time I watch your videos, I tell my husband, I'm like, I cannot wait to start another project. <laughs> oh. Yeah, this projects are easy to start. Um, it's the, it's really the finishing that's the hardest part. So it's like the, like Pepper. You know, the first ninety percent was ten percent of the time. You know, it was like the last ten percent was ninety percent of the time. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like that's the that's like the little. It's like solve that mystery in your life, and you will do well with your projects. It's like just solve that. Like, I guess it's like be stubborn. Is is my advice? Is just be stubborn with that project and just finish it. Um, cause it's like easy not to I think it's easier not to because, and it's funny. I, this is, this is my, my biggest lesson I've learned from my little girl. I have an eight year old, right? My little, my little eight year old and, uh, she, her name's Mia and she skateboards, right? She loves drifting. She loves drift cars. She helps out with the team whenever she comes, you know, like to the track or whatever. She's just heavy enough to torque the wheels. You know, she, she, puts the wheels on and torques them. It's pretty odd. It's pretty cute, but she loves skateboarding. Right. And so now I'm skateboarding with her and I used to skateboard like 20 years ago. And now I'm like back on the board, you know, being sore all over again. You know, It's awesome. But the one thing I learned from her is, is that she's afraid to fall down. Right. And it's the hardest lesson to teach her is to not be afraid of falling down. And that's innate, you know, we're all afraid to fall down. Like I'm, I'm like, I'm looking at my own life in this lesson about trying to teach her how not to fall down. And, you know, she's like, I'm like, wow, I'm afraid to fall down too. You know, that's why I build these crazy cars that are like, you know, these just crazy gnarly builds is because I originally like, I'm a, I'm great. I'm a great driver, but I always wanted that extra advantage or I always wanted that extra whatever. And so I ended up spending more time building than I did driving. And it was all because I was afraid to fall down. And, you know, like I look at all the things that I'm doing in life. That's, that's why I, that's, she's the main reason why I'm just like, I'm just going to put all my content, start putting content on YouTube is because of that lesson that I was talking to her about. And it's like, how can I teach her a lesson if I don't live that example, you know? And so that's like, I'm just, I'm full in now. <laughs> what happens? I, uh, it's like, and even if I do fall down, I'm going to get back up. Because that's the life. And that's like, finish your car, go drive it. What's the worst that can happen, you know? You can blow up or you can crash it or you can whatever. But that's, that's the point, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I made really pretty cars and I made really elaborate, pretty cars that took a ton of time and effort to make. And I think a lot of times I was afraid to destroy them. So I didn't never take them like and beat on them. Like, like I was meant to. Yeah. I street drifted everywhere, but I didn't like take it to that limit where you're destroying your car, you know? And I think that's what it takes, you know? And I think that that's like, 
um, that's what it takes to get to that next level. Like if you're drifting, you know, and I noticed that when I started, cause I used to work for Matt Van Kirk. I, I was Matt Van Kirk's team manager and his crew chief before <clears throat> for like all the way from pro-am and he's a, a Washington. I don't know if you know Matt, if you remember that orange S 13 coupe, but Matt was a uh, natural talent, super, super good. Um, and he just had that. He had this like really short dwell time when he can get on people's doors and just drive. And uh, he learned that all. He 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 drifted, but he got really good by simming. So, and our whole team was comprised of people who met from online gaming. It was uh, it was pretty funny. But he just had that, so I was so used to that. And then I started working with Jeff Jones, and you know Jeff had always run his own program, and he would always worked on his own car. And so he always drove it with a sense of caution because he couldn't really, um, like he couldn't really afford to break it. And so, you know, there was like, um, it's like he needed to let go of that and realizing like once Jackson, um, Chris Jackson and I were there, we can fix the car. And so he can kind of let go of that and realize that no matter what he did, we're going to get that car together and back on the track. And so, you know, that combined with some, with, with simming his, it, you could see that from, from that first, so this is, would be four years ago. So that first season that I started working with him, it was like this process where he hit a lot of people, you know, it was like, it was like kind of like giving up that sense of, of falling down, like letting, letting go of that and actually just like putting yourself in that, in that moment, in that, in that position to do that. And then, you know, it's like everything changed the next year. You know, he got it. We got a top 10, top 10 finish, you know, and then it's just like last year we got a top 10 finish or 12th, maybe not top 10, we're like 12th, I think. But it's like, you see this drastic improvement when you actually put yourself in a position where you could fail. And, you know, that's like, it's terrifying, but you like you have to and you have to realize that you're going to get back up and you have to realize that your greatest lessons in life are learned from falling down so yeah i like that i think um it's hard to be vulnerable like that in some cases but like i don't know if you can take from all those lessons and yeah like you said not be afraid to fall down yeah yeah, I mean, it's vulnerable because we're always living in like a social media era where everything has to be perfect, right? Mm -hmm. We all got to put our, like, not we don't have to, we, it's like a shift in culture where people live these, like, these social media lives, you know, and it's like, but we're just people, you know, we're not perfect, you know, and that's, I think a lot more people would be. You know, and I think a lot of people don't do things because they look at, they look at what's out there, you know, they look at what everyone's putting out and it's like way beyond what they think they can do. And so I think a lot more people, a lot less people are like actually like doing stuff, you know, cause it's kind of disheartening to see when like, you know, for one, I think, I don't think that costs the support when you see all these crazy builds. You know what I mean? You think about like people worried about image are, are, are not going to want to just slap together like an S13 and go drive it. You know, they're going to want something crazy to come out with. And that's not like reality, you know? So it's, it's become my reality because I spent so much time, you know, with a grinder and a welder and, you know, but it's not reality to a lot of people. And I think a lot of people need to realize that it's like, just follow your heart. You know, like I said, just follow your heart, go put something together that runs and go drive it. You know, if that's your heart, some people love building though. You know, some people like that's what they want to do. So, so just like, don't, don't let anyone talk you out of, out of what your heart's telling you. You know, if you want to do both, do both. But, yeah. 
I feel like in Drift Kitchen, Taylor's for sure the driver, and I like working on the cars. <laughs> but you're a great driver, too. So, I mean, you know what I mean? And that's really what... And that's something, too, is that I, I feel like I spent a lot of time in, like, in my shop, in the garage, just building these crazy things, and it, it sort of pulls you out of touch with, like, community, you know? And, like, drifting is a community. You know, it's like, it's a community-based thing. Skateboarding is a community. It's a community-based thing. These things, like, like anything, you know what I mean? It's just, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like if you love driving, you should always drive. You'll still build. You're always going to build. You always have to build. You know, it's going to be something in you. And I guess at some point you'll make a choice, right? You don't have to choose, I guess. You know what I mean? But one thing will probably, you'll get better at one. You know, I got better at building. So driving together yeah. for a hundred years old. What's that? I said, we'll be driving together for a hundred till we're a hundred years old. <laughs> oh, yeah. so, you know, like, I, yeah, I hope so. I'm going to be building like when I get too old to walk, I'll probably be building crazy drip wheelchairs. <laughs> like, <let's> send it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on and talking to us. I appreciate no it. Yeah. Taylor, can we get some Whitmore's Weekly Wisdom? Sure. Uh, this week, my Whitmore Weekly Wisdom is if you're willing to ban anything in life, make it yourself. If you're willing to... Wait, what? If you're willing to... If you're willing to bet on anything in life, make sure you bet on yourself. Yes. I agree with that. I like and that. And investors. Oh. What's that? <laughs> And invest in yourself, too. That's good wisdom, Taylor. Thank you. <laughs> I think a lot of people don't invest in themselves. You know? I think they invest in a lot of other things and subscribe to a lot of other things, but they don't invest in themselves. All right, ladies. Greg, All right. have a great night, guys. Thank you as well. See you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. Taylor, I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, see you tomorrow. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Alright, bye guys. Good night. Thank you guys again for tuning in and listening to us ramble. Definitely check out the next episode. Appreciate all your support. Don't forget to follow Drift Kitchen on Instagram and to check out their big cartel site and pick up some merch. Thanks again, guys.